Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to another Paradox Free Speech and Medicine podcast. Today, I'm joined by Eris Lebranos. Uh, many of you who follow us will already know who Eris is, but Eris is not only a practicing emergency physician, but he's a fairly recently graduated lawyer who's um, working in the legal field as well. So Eris has become my uh, most frequent guest and my go-to guy to talk about any significant um, court and legal happenings. And certainly in the last couple of days in Canada, it's, it, today is the 24th of Ju January, 2024. And we just in the last couple of days, we did have a very significant uh, court finding where the federal court um, found that the invocation of the Emergencies Act to um, quash the trucker rally was um, not uh, justified, which many of us are struggling to understand just how important is that decision? Is it really a change the world decision? Um, is it meaningless or, or like most things in life, is it somewhere in between? Um, and certainly getting lots of uh, talk and chatter on Twitter and elsewhere the last few days. And I thought it would be great to have Eris to uh, clear this up for us. So Eris, thanks very much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay, Eris, maybe you can start by telling us who were the parties who brought this to the court and what was the question put to the federal court? Sure. So there were four um, applicants to the federal court for judicial review. Um, so that is like a um, court opinion on the invocation of the Emergencies Act by the federal government. So the defendant or respondent party is the Attorney General of Canada, um, which is just the government, right? That's the defense for uh, government. Um, and then on the four parties, the applicants bringing this question to the court were the Canadian Frontline Nurses Association, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the Canadian Constitutional Foundation, and a series of individuals the court found that there was standing for the Canadian Constitution Foundation and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association to proceed with the judicial review on the invocation of the Emergencies Act. And there is a nice long um, discussion about why uh, standing was granted, but it's certainly not the sort of meat and potatoes. It is an important feature, no doubt, um, because the government tried to summarily dismiss this based that they have no standing, that this question is moot. The court rejected that. So hence why they have a 163-page decision. So those are the four. And it's worthwhile noting that um, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and the Canadian Constitutional Foundation uh, are, um, well, all four are impressive um, entities, institutions, but those two in particular were given special credit and recognition by Justice Mosley for their work on this, um, which was very gladdening to hear. Excellent. And maybe another thing, just a technical question, but to explain to us lay people, the federal court, as I understand it, is basically a step or two below the Supreme Court of Canada. So it's not the final say in the land, but it is a very significant decision when it comes from them. Is that correct? It is. It is. Um, it is the um, as a national court that hears national issues. It is a very strong opinion. Um, 
There is a federal appeals court and there is the Supreme Court, both of whom can supersede. However, it is worth noting that they answer questions based on very specific features of decisions already made. That the weight of this court ruling on the evidence, how it was heard, what questions were posed, and so on, that cannot be redone. So it's a very impressive decision. I would also highlight that it's a very uh, weighty one because of who Justice Mosley is. Justice Mosley has been a federal court justice for 20 years. He was appointed under Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin. And um, he has an interest in national security. And so not only is he very is experienced, well-learned, this is a particular interest of his. Um, so yeah, very weighty as a decision and going through it, 163 pages, uh, very impressive. And his detailed analysis is... Um, part of why this is such a resounding success for civil liberties in Canada. Lovely. Well, that's that's sounding very positive so far. So maybe, um, you know, 163 pages, we're not going to get through that in a short podcast, but maybe you can in some way go through the the significant things that were said in that decision, what you think the layperson needs to know to understand it and, and understand what uh, Justice Mosley was uh, considering when he came up with that ruling. For sure. There are a few key features that are what I would say the um, underlying message from the decision um, that are not the legalese, that are not the legal logistics, that are like the resounding take-home messages for how the government uses um, this uh, incredibly important and infringing um, piece of legislation. So the first thing that the government tried to do was to suggest that um, there was a high risk to the security of Canada um, as a consequence of these protests. So that's important because in order to in, uh, invoke this act, uh, you need to pass a certain threshold. That threshold is a very high threshold. Even the special rapporteur, Justice Rouleau, um, as a consequence of the inquiry into the act's invocation, said as much that it's a very high threshold. Um, the definition for the risk to the security of Canada comes from the CSIS Act, and economic impact is not a consideration. It has to be a threat to sort of like the well-being um, and sense of peace and, 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 you know, the potential for violence and so on. So... Uh, it has a very uh, specific definition. So Justice Mosley, in his decision, um, addresses the government's suggestion and rationale that this was the case. All right. Um, ultimately saying, no, the government was unreasonable in its invocation because this was not a serious and significant risk to the security of Canada. That's the that's the thesis. That's why so many um, conservatives, libertarians, um, even many liberals are rejoicing at this decision. One of the things that the government was trying to suggest was that the threat posed by the truckers existed throughout Canada. Justice Mosley specifically reprimanded that, saying that that is a real gross overstatement, that it wasn't. And specifically where other blockades and other issues were um, happening sort of concurrently with the trucker convoy in Ottawa, 
they were capable of being resolved by other legal means that already existed. And so the special powers granted by the Emergencies Act was unnecessary to deal with those issues outside of the Ottawa Corridor, even if you did need them for the Ottawa Corridor itself. So that's one thing. The second thing that's really important is that um, not only was it a threat that existed throughout Canada, one of the things that I have really sort of tried to highlight about this decision is what was the basis in fact and evidence that the government even thought that this was a major threat? The reality is there was basically none. And the uh, Justice um, Mosley cited that specifically. So um, uh, paragraph 290, he says, violent incidents and threats of violence and arrests related to the protests have been reported across Canada. But then goes on to say, well, you cannot manufacture your own evidence. The, the That statement requires some sort of reports and so on, but they were all lacking. Your reports as to the threats of violence across Canada were vague. There was nothing substantial about it. Even the arrests that happened in Ottawa were all for minor events, minor infractions. And so you're suggesting that, oh no, all hell is breaking loose, but you have no evidence to corroborate that. He highlighted and quoted several um, uh, testimonies, one from Trudeau, and Trudeau in his testimony said, the fact that there was not yet any serious violence that had been noted was obviously a good thing, but we could not say there was no potential for serious violence. And then uh, Mark Mendocino said, I was scared that there was a hardened cell across Canada involving guns. It's like your fear is insufficient evidence. So it's a really important um, uh, factor that Justice Mosley was sort of uh, highlighting that the suspicion or the care and the risk for violence and extremism um, is totally insufficient for the declaration of an emergency that is so powerfully infringing. It, it seems very, um, there, there seems to be a real parallel with the way that the government declared a perpetual state of emergency for two years for COVID, even though through much of that, our, our hospitals were really, you know, in some cases we had zero COVID patients in hospital, but it was like, oh, well, we might. So therefore we have to have a state of emergency. It, it, it felt to me like, uh, you know, like, declaring a state of emergency for hurricane season every year in case we have a hurricane, you know? Right. It is the preemptive, it's the prophylactic state of emergency that's required to address something that might happen. And that's completely insufficient for this legislation. And so when we talk about consequences of this decision, this is something that we'll have to come back to and circle back to. Right. We're almost getting into a bit of, uh, what's that movie, Min Minority Report territory, where we're trying to preempt crime by arresting people early or shutting down their rights to protest early. It happened in Nova Scotia too. Uh, Aris, do you think there's a bit of a parallel? The government took out an injunction against a freedom protest. And it, what was really disturbing was it wasn't long after the big Black Lives Matter protests happened and the government stood by and watched and sort of cheered it on. And then suddenly there was going to be a little freedom protest that would have been a fraction of the size and they took out an injunction to shut it down. It seems more, what would you say, um, I ideologically uh, targeted as opposed to I mean, actually targeted on danger or threat? I don't think it's it's even remotely conspiratorial to suggest that, that there are certain ideologies or narratives that the government is willing to endorse and support and others that it's not going to. And um, if you want to think about the reasons why, that might be a lot more sort of 
um, theoretical, but it seems very blatantly obvious that certain protests are acceptable and need to be empowered and other forms of protest are not. And at the end of the day, it's about the function of control. Yeah, and I, I've brought this up with people who were maybe on the other side of this issue, but people forget that it's not actually illegal to protest in communist China. You just have to be protesting for the right reason. If you want to go out and protest the horrible United States, you're welcome to. You just can't protest against the government. And it feels like we're trending in that direction in Canada. But, totally. Yeah. Anyway, anyway to, sorry, I've kind of interrupted your flow, but is there more you want to say about the decision? You want to highlight a few more important Right. Things? So the first is that the threat did not exist across Canada. The second is the evidence for a threat at all was extremely weak um, and was sort of uh, reprimanded by the uh, uh, Justice Mosley. The third that he said, which is very important, is that the Emergencies Act is not a tool for convenience. That as long as things can be handled by other law, you don't need to be, it does not need to be easily handled by other law. It can be difficult to handle the case by other law, and still that would warrant not invoking the Emergencies Act. Uh, and that is because the amount of power that is given is grossly disproportionate. And so the final component that I would highlight is that not only was the invocation inappropriate, Justice Mosley goes on to say that the effect, the powers that were used by the government in response to the invocation of the act, they themselves were completely disproportionate and grossly infringing. So, for example, restricting protests, restricting the opportunity or ability to travel to protests, freezing bank accounts with the arbitrariness that um, that they had such that you did not even have a easy recourse to unfreezing your bank accounts. And so he went on to reprimand not only that you shouldn't have done this in the first place, but since you did it, you abused the hell out of it as well. And that's exactly the threat that such legislation poses. It is totally possible that you could have said, as an example, things are getting out of hand in Ottawa. As a consequence of this, government is not able to function. As a consequence of the government unable to function in a time of war, in a time of um, uh, escalating friction in the world or negotiations with whatever, that poses a serious threat. So you're welcome to come back in six weeks once this has concluded. In the meantime, we will shut everything down. But that is not what the government did. They invoked this. They abused the hell out of it. They did not have the appropriate evidence for it. And so there are lots of uh, um, liberal punditry and, you know, legacy league, uh, media that are trying to carry water for the liberals with respect to this decision. And I don't see anything in there that is supportive um, for the government. I, I see a resounding condemnation for Trudeau to the point where I am shocked that he did not resign over the nature of this decision. Shocked. Interesting. So, um, I don't want to, again, I don't want to preempt you. Is there anything more you want to say about the decision before I ask you some follow-up questions? Um, the sort of like two bigger components that I would, uh, th there isn't. I think that it's worthwhile um, contrasting because not long ago we had the inquiry that sort of absolved the government of the invocation and then obviously follow up on where this goes and what are the ramifications, but I'm happy to talk about it any way you want. Yeah, no, that, that is my first question was going to be, it was justice Rouleau, as I, 
as I recall in the inquiry, who basically said, no, no, the government did everything fine. But there were some concerns about his impartiality. He had maybe connections to the liberal government and there were certain facts that didn't come up and certain facts that weren't facts that seemed to be facts. And then they came up with, oh yeah, yeah, no, everything's fine. Nothing to see here, which was very strange to a lot of us. So how did, how did the inquiry end up at such a different conclusion? Right. Um, it's very interesting. So we've already talked about the sort of unique and special nature of Justice Mosley. Justice Rouleau has a long history and um, certainly as a uh, judge has the illusion or air of impartiality and objectivity, and we should grant them that. Um, now, that was not the context of this, right? This was an inquiry. He's not in a formal court. There is no... Um, um, deference that needs to be given to the inquiry compared to the court of law. So that's one thing. The second thing is that um, you're you're right. Justice Rouleau had a unique relationship with Trudeau. Um, the quote-unquote allegations were that they vacationed a lot together, family, friends, and so on. Um, certainly, I recall seeing pictures of them on ski slopes repeatedly together. So there's certainly the illusion or the perspective that there was some partiality to the decision. Um unlike the case here with Justice Mosley. Um, and then if we wanted to look at the decision, Justice Rouleau missed many um, things that were specifically highlighted by Justice Mosley more recently. So the first thing that I'll say that he agreed is that there is a very high threshold to do this, that the invocation of the Emergencies Act is not a small thing. The second thing that Justice Rouleau said that was important was that... Um, that incredibly high threshold was met, but that a reasonable person would be able to disagree with his decision that it was met. So he was, quote unquote, on the fence about it. However, some of the things that he has stated about it were just indicative of some sort of, um, you know, incompetence, unreasonableness or corruption. I, it makes no difference to me which of the three. Um, so the first thing that he said was that um, there was a, quote unquote, some sinister goals willing to engage in dangerous conduct for some of the participants in the convoy and other protests. Um, now, that may be true. That must be true of every large enough group of people. So using this as a reference point for any kind of decision is ridiculous. I mean, like the same is without a doubt uh, can be said for RBC. The same can without a doubt be said for the liberal government. I mean, like without a doubt, for the conservative government, you know, a large enough institution um, is going to have actors with sinister goals willing to engage in dangerous uh, conduct. Um, so that's the first thing, kind of a ridiculous um, uh, statement or principle. The second thing is that he, he labeled this a quote-unquote occupation of the core of the nation's capital. Now, on the one hand, I actually really like that because that in and of itself does not speak to any kind of a security threat. An occupation, not of a city but of the core of the nation's capital, which is the seat of government where protests should take place, is an entirely reasonable place for an occupation to take uh, to occur. Um, the third thing is that repeatedly, uh, Justice Rouleau was saying that the size and scope of this protest was unprecedented. The unprecedented nature of a protest is completely irrelevant to the invocation of the Emergencies Act. We've never seen this before and didn't know what to do is not justification for the infringement of civil liberties that is afforded 
by such incredible executive authority. So again, it's like a logical fallacy to state, well, I didn't know what to do, so I did this. No, that is not reasonable grounds to justify the government um, freezing people's bank accounts. Right. Yeah, sorry, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, like, certainly there's there's more, but if you wanted to interject, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, just to, I was going to say it, it seems analogous to, uh, you know, a doctor cuts patient's leg off because he sees a wound on it that he hasn't dealt with before. And, you know, if that goes to court, I don't think it's defense for the doctor to say, well, I didn't know what to do, so I just cut his leg off. You know, that's <laughs> totally. It's ridiculous. It's, a, it's an insane defense uh, to try and make. And uh, I mean, like, it certainly sounds impressive. When you keep saying these were unprecedented times, it's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that doesn't give you license to be negligent. It doesn't give you license to be dangerous. So, I mean, like you have to still be careful. You have to still be measured and justified. So, um, and to that end, he actually raises the whole issue of COVID-19 and the pandemic in general. Now, he specifically states that he's not opining on public health's response to it, um, only that this was obviously a trigger point when the vaccine mandate for the crossing of the uh, border for truckers was um, uh, implemented and acted or discussed or whatever the case might have been for the trucker convoy. Um, and he goes on at one point to say that the COVID-19 pandemic was perhaps a once-in-generation event, that the government's acted in good faith. And that the consequences were, quote unquote, real hardship to thousands of Canadians. I mean, it gives you a sense of the absolutely warped perspective from uh, Justice Rouleau to suggest that real hardship to thousands of Canadians is a sufficient um, description of what the COVID pandemic policies were like. That was a real hardship to millions of Canadians. Millions and millions. The majority of Canadians suffered as a consequence of those uh, policies. So to suggest that this was a quote-unquote real hardship to thousands of Canadians is a completely distorted perspective. You know, if I told you um, uh, how many people live in Brazil and you told me more than 10, well, yeah, certainly it's more than 10. But that doesn't say nothing to the number of people who live in Brazil. Right, right. Um well, Eris, I think that's a you've done a great job of walking us through all that. Um, and just before I move on to the next question, is there anything more you want to say about either the contrast with the inquiry or the decision itself? Yeah. So the only other thing that I would say about the inquiry is Justice Rouleau said that cabinet reasonably believed that use of the act was necessary. And that is a very subjective decision. That is a decision that is based on what do those people think? How were they feeling? And so on. That is a very stark contrast to the decision made by Justice Mosley, where Justice Mosley is saying, your feelings may have been justified, but the evidence that warranted those feelings were not. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And that is an objective decision. That is saying, what is the evidence that led you to believe that? Well, there were reports of violence. Okay, how meritous, how credible were those reports? Well, they weren't. Right. So it is a much more appropriate, like, of course, you can claim a good faith argument for the government, talk to them. You know, Justin Trudeau will sit there and bat his eyelashes and be like, we were really worried. But that is completely insufficient to the invocation of something su that requires such a high threshold. Right. So it'd be kind of like um, a, a Halloween trick or treater knocks on your door and you blast your shotgun through the door. 
and you try to say, well, I was really worried that it might have been an intruder. It's not right. Really. It's like, well, sure, I appreciate you were worried. I very much appreciate you were very scared. But that doesn't justify it based on the evidence or the fact that it was Halloween, that you had had two other people knock on the door previously, that you gave candy to children. Like at some point, you got to be able to say like, mm, that was ridiculous. And so right. Justice Mosley was suggesting that. And that's why it's such a resounding victory. I mean, anybody out there, CBC, CTV, Global, whoever, out there trying to suggest that this is like, well, you know, some people weren't granted standing and, you know, it was a tough decision and the government was justified in their fear. It's like, well, you know, like we're really kind of cutting uh, as uh, neat a picture as possible in order to give the government some uh, win from this case. It was a resounding slap in the face of Trudeau. Lovely. Well, I think a lot of us are very heartened to hear you describe it that way. So, so that's that's good. So, so we have this decision now. And the next question I would ask you is, and I know this is asking you to take out a bit of a crystal ball, but what effect might this have? Does this open up other lawsuits? Um, number one and number two. Does it have the power to prevent this in the future or might we see the same thing happen in the future and have to go through this whole process again to undo it? Um, so um, the next step is the government is going to appeal this decision. So that's going to go to a federal court of appeal and we will have to wait and see if they agree. That's fine. And so ultimately this decision could be overturned and could be that he misinterpreted the definition of what was required or et cetera, et cetera, whatever the case might be. So although it's a monumental victory for now, it is a victory that could be overturned and we have to sort of like be cognizant of that and wait. Um, importantly, when that happens, uh, makes a big difference because, um, I mean, it's not going to happen in a week or two. Uh, I can't imagine it's going to happen within a year. And so as a consequence of that, um, elections are coming up at some point, And this is a very stark, um, this is a big factor in trying to determine um, Trudeau's legacy. So there's a political ramification in that um, it can really do damage to the liberals for enacting this and the NDP for supporting it. So that's the first part. The second part of your question is the um, consequences to uh, other lawsuits. Certainly this has, um, uh, this is like precedent setting. It can be referred to in other uh, courts, the evidence, the decision, um, the arguments, and so on and so on can all be referenced in other courts. So that is uh, very beneficial. Um, will it lead to other lawsuits? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I really couldn't say. Um, I mean, like there are statute of limitations on all sorts of civil courts. Um, hard to say if that would be successfully argued based on, well, I did not know that my rights had been infringed until this had taken place. So, I mean, like there's the possibility that it, it, it could lead to some, um, I'm not sure how harmed people were that they would pursue it, or if it would just be a symbolic or cultural victory and they would want to do it. That's the second thing. The third thing that I would say as a consequence of this, perhaps the most concerning or worrisome is that the legislation will change to permit, to address the failures of the Liberal government this time, and by um, evolving in that way, it will make it much easier for civil right infringements by Canadian governments in the future. That's the big risk. 
that's the big risk. I mean, like certainly there would be no other way around it. I mean, like if if the government lost this case, th they would address it for sure. So I mean, like it's still a victory, but that's the big threat, I would say. Right. So they would react by passing legislation to broaden their powers. In the Bingo. Right. So this is like the increasing Sovietization of, of Canada as a nation. That emergency authority will become increasingly easy to invoke. And the consequences for that will be basically nothing. And that's really what's happening here. So what is the consequence to Trudeau or to Christia Freeland or to Jagmeet Singh as a consequence of this? The answer is none. The hardship happened. The protest was um, quelled as a consequence of economic hardship imposed on those protesters, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so the damage is done. The only thing is that it hurts the legacy, sets a new standard, unless it's addressed by legislation. And so we have to hope that the consequences to elections of these kinds of decisions are, are heard. And to that end, I'm very, very glad that the decision has made the splash that it has, that we're talking about it here and now, that it's all over Twitter, that Zero Hedge just published it, that, you know, like, I hope Tucker Carlson is going to bring it up, et cetera, et cetera. Because it, these decisions only matter if they resonate culturally. And so we need to promote and amplify how this is a rebuke of government so that government doesn't think like, well, we can just change things and make it better in the future and make it easier for us. Gotcha. Well, Eris, I think that brings us to a really good natural end of this. So um, what you've done is you've uh, taken my uh, taken my hopes way, way up high and then sort of dashed them on the rocks and just air at the end a little bit. But I guess like everything in life, the the answer to what what does this mean is uh, kind of it's complicated. It means it might mean a lot of things in the future. So uh, we, I really appreciate you taking us through it in a way that I think is very understandable for the lay person who doesn't understand all the ins and outs of the various courts and the thresholds and whatnot. Well, it's is my pleasure. Any, yeah, is there only, anything you want to add at the end? Uh, yeah, only that it's a real testament to the quality of um, uh, representation and how the fight can succeed when it's in the right hands. And so um, there are a lot of people out there who have the sort of beneficent and just um, impulse to try and help defend against encroaching government. How and where you use your resources to that fight is very, very important. Finding institutions or organizations, not only that have a good track record necessarily, because new institutions will be formed, but that you have a solid substantive plan that are being articulated by people who are trustworthy, that they themselves have an experience or a background that lends itself to uh, to the fight and so on. So I think that there's a, a one of the lessons to be learned from this is that the Canadian Constitutional Foundation, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association did a, a, a fantastic job, an extremely difficult job and a fantastic job. And you should be looking in your own communities for organizations that are equally credible. So good job to them and support them. Lovely. And maybe I'll just throw in as well, uh, people can look up the Nova Scotia Civil Liberties Association if they're in Nova Scotia, an organization that both Eris and I support greatly. Um, and I'll throw in as well because they've helped me personally, the jccf.ca, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms has done some great work over the last few years. So um, people always ask, what can I do to change things? And I think one of the answers is to support these organizations. 
Okay. Well, thanks, Eris. Thanks for your time. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.